welcome to Charity Chat with uh, me, Sam Davies, and my collaborator and friend, Vicky Bretherton. Hello. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about trustees and the valuable role that they can play for charities and also the how they can help you in your career if you wish to be a trustee of a charity. Fantastic. So to kick off, what is a trustee? The definition the Charity Commission website gives, trustees have independent control over and legal responsibility for a charity's management and administration. They play a very important role, almost always unpaid, in a sector that contributes significantly to the character and well-being of the country. Absolutely. And there's another um, definition of what a trustee or a trustee role um, is there to perform, and that is they are ensure, to ensure that the charity is compliant with the law, which is what you... Mm-hmm. in a nutshell I just said that there's a strategy in place for the charity that the performance of the charity is monitored and improved that the needs of the beneficiaries are put at the centre of the strategy and the impact the charity has on beneficiaries is captured now that's from co- a career volunteer um, resource which obviously puts the person back at the centre of the charity and what the trustees role is actually there to perform there are an estimated 20,000 new trustee roles in the UK each year um, and trustees are typically expend- expected to attend four to six board meetings a year. And these can be in the evenings, on a weekday, during work times or on a weekend. Sure. So there is a very, considering they have such an important role to play, mm. there's actually very few opportunities for them to have a touch point with their charity. So their time is very precious. And uh, so it's important for charities, I think, to know exactly what they want to get out of their trustee board meetings um, and to ensure that their trustees are engaged with the charity in between those times. Uh, typical rules for trustees well there's some again charity commission website a fantastic source for this month's show because they have a whole list of typical rules for trustees which includes overall control of a charity Um, essentially trustees use their skills and experience to support their charities helping them to achieve their aims and most trustees don't get paid uh, because this is this plays a key point with uh, with this show. Um, so all of that information is in the governing document, which we mentioned, of course, in the last show. So it's really important in that governing document that every charity should have that you outline things like how a trustee should act, how often the board meetings are, and also things like expenses, because as we know, uh, trustees generally don't get paid. Absolutely. I think it's really important that trustees are not only made aware of you know what is expected of them from the outset but also that the charity cherishes them because they are at the end of the day a senior volunteer yeah so and they bring a lot of skills and value to the charity so it's important that the charity always has in the back of their mind that their trustees they are giving up their time for free and it's often valuable time um so they need to make sure that they are looked after engaged and and motivated to really do the best that they can for their charity absolutely because essentially they're in charge of that charity aren't they that they're in charge of how that charity operates mm-hmm. so um yeah fantastic a lot of responsibility and no payment i think that's really uh, mm. a testament to anyone that does that so next time you see your trustees give them a pat on the back so how do you go about recruiting a, a trustee um very different ways in which you can do that. Some charities will have a very formal application process that you have to go through. Um, And then others may, some particularly smaller charities may just go on, you know, personal recommendations for trustees, people Mm. who are in the local community that are, you know, have a a high high standing in the community and they may wish to get them on board, not only to help them to make key decisions, but also because they're a leading figure in the community and they can help to promote the charity with, through their contacts as well sure. so I think trustees are often as well as doing the, the sort of the legal and business end of, it, of the charity are also expected to do a little bit of fundraising as well and to help the charity in that respect absolutely I mean I suppose the thing to think about from a charity's point of view or an existing board's point of view when they're looking at the trustees they want to get on board the board uh, is things like you know uh, the skills and experience that they currently have on that board so mm-hmm. If, for example, you're a charity that is dealing with international development and then you're branching out into other countries, then potentially you'd need a trustee with an expertise or knowledge at least of those countries you want to branch out into. Um, And that goes for any kind of charity really, you know, that you're looking for people with expertise in the areas in which your your mission, your aims are focusing. (laughs) 
So in order to be a trustee in the UK, for, for most charities, you need to be at least 18 years of age. Some people are disqualified by law from acting as charity trustees, and those include anyone with an unspent conviction for an offence involving dishonesty or deception, um, anyone that's currently declared bankrupt, um, or has an individual voluntary agreement with creditors. And this was a bit of a surprise to me. I didn't really uh, understand why that was. No, and I wonder if those um, if those are grounds for dismissal as, w- as well, if something well, happens if they, undergo a ba- if they are going through bankruptcy and they are a trustee of a charity, did they then have to step down from the board? I suppose they must do. Well, I think this is a valid point, and I think one that currently, at this current time, we cannot answer you and I. I think that's fair to say. So our challenge for you, the listener, is if, it, if you or anyone you know has any idea why that is the case, then please do get in touch with us on um, on our website, charitychat.org.uk, or through our Facebook page, Charity Chat Podcast. Um, we'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll hopefully have an idea about that by the end, by next month. Um, <laughs> I would imagine, though, if they've gone bankrupt or they've been involved in some sort of deception, that they're obviously not trustworthy Pers- in terms so. of financial... But then that's interesting because as a board, I suppose you're working collaboratively with other board members who have oversight, or they should have oversight, of of what is taking place financially. Mm. So it's surprising. So, um, and then also other things that will prohibit um, people from becoming a trustee is uh, if you've been disqualified from being a company director and also if you've been previously removed as a trustee by either the Charity Commission or the High Court due to misconduct or mismanagement, which kind of explains itself really, doesn't it? So yeah, what to consider when recruiting trustees, uh, we've run through that from the charity's point of view and um, and then I suppose from the trustee's point of view, you know, what kind of things are trustees going to need to think about before they go into that recruitment process of applying to be a trustee. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are considering becoming a trustee of a charity, there are certain things that you need to understand. So the first thing to consider is what the charity is set up to achieve and its purposes. Um, are they aligned with your, your motivations and your interests? Um, do you have a personal connection to the charity? That's always an per- important question to ask. Um, who the charity is there to benefit and as beneficiaries. Um, how they will benefit, so what the charity will do for them. Um, any order of priority to the services and benefits the charity provides. So does it put one area of its work above others for example if you work for a, a you know a medical charity or a health charity mm-hmm. do they focus mostly on research or do they focus more on the clinical aspect of things sure. um, and are there any restrictions on what the charity can do or who it can help geographical or other boundaries or spe- specific criteria that the beneficiaries must meet um, so it's important to consider whether those boundaries you feel are reasonable um, or if you believe that they should you know, expand them wider. The other thing to consider is trustees, you are expected to attend board meetings uh, four to six times a year, which may be out of hours or they may be during the working day. So, you know, consider the amount of time that you will have to give up to those meetings. Uh, Especially in America, there's a perception that a trustee will give all of their or the focus they're um, giving to the charity they're trustee of for that period of time. So, Interesting. potentially, you know, it could be somebody that you'd be going after asking to make sizable donations to yeah. your cause over that time, as well as donating all that time. Well, as a, as a major donor fundraiser, I you know do a lot of work with our trustees because of the networks that they have, um, and I uh, can certainly say that they a lot of the trustees that we have on our board, some will you know they do just attend the board meetings and the odd event here and there, but there are a handful who go above and beyond mm. consistently. They attend you know community events. They will help us you know with new fundraising initiatives. Some of them will join other boards within the charity. Um, so they really do play a very vital part. Um, of the charity and I, even you were t- telling me um, about one of your trustees who organises his own annual event 
Yes. Yeah, one of our one of our trustees organises um, a, a, a big walking event um, annually for us, and it, it raises you know in the region about hundred thousand pounds a year wow. for us, which is absolutely astounding. And he puts an awful lot of time into that, mm. gets his family roped in and everything. So, um, you know, he does have a personal connection to the organisation, so it's very much in he feels in his interest to to do the best for us. And I think as a trustee, that's what every Every person on the trustee board should feel that they have a duty to do everything they can to support the charity. Yeah. From the charity's point of view, obviously, it's um, what to consider when recruiting trustees. What skill sets are they looking for? What kind of personality types potentially are they looking for? How is that going to um, gel with the existing trustees on their board and also help them with their aims, charitable aims. And also then from the trustees' point of view, I suppose it's understanding the charity they're applying to become a trustee of and um, and potentially seeing their, their place in that charity, how they can benefit the charity, like any job application, I suppose. And then there is the, um, yeah, from, again, from a charity point of view, how do you encourage people to apply to become a trustee. So we've already talked about the fact that it could be potentially quite a big undertaking for people. It might mm-hmm. not be, it depends on what you're asking of those trustees. But you know, some advice that the Charity Commission, uh, again, uh, has given is how to attract people to apply. Well, there are a few things. Try recruitment methods other than word of mouth, which is often what charities do. So you can use social media, advertising, or trustee recruitment websites, and we'll be posting a few of those. Out on our um, out on our website. Obviously, you know, recruiting maybe to maybe the charity's expanding, maybe the charity's changing direction, but also trustees generally. And I think in some of the things I've read, this is suggested that there is a, a time frame for a trustee to commit to. If you are putting together a trustee board for the first time, is to think about having a term of service so that it enables you to, you know, once pe- once trustees have completed their you know their term of service whether it's a year three years five years ten years even when they're coming towards the end of that that gives you a chance to refresh your trustee board so sure. that you can con- continuously get new ideas in and I think having too short a time period might be um, you know maybe counterproductive because mm. that you know may take a trustee a year or so or even six months to bed in sure. and really feel comfortable in what they're doing so maybe you know three to five years is a good is a good term of service So earlier this week I had an interview with James Atkins who is a trustee at Volunteer Centre Lewisham um, and he was talking to me about how being a trustee has helped him to build his you know his bank of skills um, and has also gave really interesting insight into the way that that particular organisation recruits its trustees um, and looks after them and the, the role that he has to play in the organisation. So we're delighted to be joined by James Atkins, who is a trustee at Volunteer Centre Lewisham and Mm -hmm. has been a trustee there for two years. So thank you very much for being with us, James. Um, Let's kick off straight away. What made you decide to be a trustee? Um, I think it was kind of seen to me as kind of an unknown entity. Um, Very much I've worked in charities for a long time, but the board always seemed this very distant and removed thing that I wasn't really aware what they were about or what they did. So it was just kind of for me, just trying to understand a bit more about what their function was and actually how maybe I could become part of that. So um, we did an application form. I then, as part of that, met the chair of the board um, and had an interview with him. Then within the role of the Volunteer Centre Lewisham, we actually had a trainee trustee role. So for around about six to eight months, instead of just being ratified on the board, um, I actually didn't make any votes, but actually got to see what was going on in the day-to-day workings of the organisation. And it really kind of helped me to understand, A, what my responsibilities were, but B, what the charity or board member was supposed to do. And so I felt more comfortable that when the September came around the following year that I was comfortable about becoming a board member. Actually that the um, the amount of people actually dropping out from being a board member has actually decreased massively because of this opportunity of becoming a trainee and learning more before you become a board member as a whole. Excellent, thank you. Um, and so what are your duties as a trustee? So obviously the starting point is obviously you are legally responsible for the continuation of the charity. So the chief exec and other members of staff, they will report back into you on what's going on. You are responsible for the financial management as well. 
Obviously, operationally, the chief, ex does, chief exec does a lot of work, um, but fundamentally, the buck stops with you. And I think when we see look at Kids Company and some of the other charities where that kind of doesn't happen, um, it makes you more aware of what your role is as a trustee. Um, also as well, because there's different functions on a board, so I was recruited on the idea that I have some HR experience. So um, as part of that, I'm part of a finance and personnel subcommittee. So very much looking at all aspects of HR and financial matters of the organisation that we can focus on. Um, we have quarterly meetings that we obviously vote on specific areas of interest for the organisation. Um, and then obviously um, very much of being at the AGM and also as part of the annual planning day as well. So kind of a wide range of tasks that we can and, and what does volunteer Centre Lewisham do as an organisation? Sure. So very much so it works in the heart of Lewisham to promote and celebrate volunteering across the whole borough. So we work with over 250 voluntary organisations, um, uh, showcasing best practice in volunteer management, but also allowing those organisations to advertise um, their, the opportunities they have within the local community, and very much linking up the volunteer network, which is around about 25,000 volunteers across the whole of Lewisham. Wow. Mm. That's amazing. That is, that's yeah. a lot of volunteers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what sort of decisions have you helped to make and what impact have they had? Um, any applications, any jobs that we're looking for out in the market, I'm very much so the person that actually shortlists those candidates and interview them. So very much so actually it really helps me to get to understand actually who are the different people within the organisation because nine times out of ten I've been on that panel and made that decision who we're recruiting basically. Um, also as well um, as, as you know many charities are in the, in the sector there's been a lot of cuts. So a big piece of work that we did um, at the beginning of this year, um, we got 75% of our funding was lost. Um, so very much so looking at the whole kind of consultation restructures of the organisation. And we went down from a staff team of about 14 to about four. Um, but in itself, because the board were very actively involved in that, and that was involved in the consultations, the discussions, having that open dialogue with staff as well, what was happening, actually it wasn't as horrendous as it could have been. Um, an example of that is actually we set up a mentoring programme um, that the board members actually mentored other members of staff in maybe applying for other jobs or just seeing what their career prospects were and that proved quite popular. What three pieces of advice would you give to anyone thinking of becoming or applying to be a trustee of a charity? I think the main one is actually to research what charities are happening in your local area. I think a lot of times people look at maybe becoming a trustee and they maybe look at the major charities out there and obviously competition for those kind of board member roles is quite high. So what you could do is actually find out what's going on in your local community because you can make a real impact in actually some of the work that they're doing there. Also as well, identify what skills and interests that you have um, to offer. I think a lot of people think, oh, I have no skills at all. But actually from your professional life, you will have something to bring to the board. Thirdly, don't be overwhelmed by the whole process. I think certainly when we look at Kids Company, we look at the fact you're legally responsible for a charity. It can almost seem quite overwhelming at first. But actually, as long as you're keeping your eyes open, um, there actually isn't really so much of a problem at all. Um, and actually, it can bring huge benefits to yourself professionally, but also on a personal level as well. Excellent. Thank you very much indeed, James. That was a fantastic interview with James there, um, really interesting and uh, I think as you'd said earlier in the in the show, um, kind of a really interesting insight into how a charity has um, brought trustees into it and also then trained them up because then that's something that can often get lost. Yeah. We've got some good advice for trustees. There's a, an article that was written by a chap called Nigel Kipax for Career Volunteer about strengthening the board and strengthening your trustees and he makes a really interesting point which we've, we've touched on earlier about diversity and making sure that your board isn't just made up of the same sort of people. Um, boards are increasingly, he says, boards are increasingly under pressure to diversify their membership to embrace the differences between ten, team members rather than the similarities. He talks uh, you know, specifically about um, diversity in race and gender um, but also you know, we talked about age as well. Yeah. Um, 
but he said the ability to see the world through a different lens and ask different questions that help to ensure that when a decision is made, it's as likely as possible to be the best decision that the board could have made. And diversity in thinking will create tension, Mm -hmm. but it's this very tension that should support open dialogue and robust decision making. So having a huge range, having a range of views um, is extremely beneficial to to charities. And it may be that you are, you know, if you're the, the sort of the new member to the board that thinks differently to the rest of them, actually you are exactly what that charity needs. To, to help it reach its reach its goals because you're asking the questions that you know them as a board of trustees as very similar sort of people have never thought to ask before sure um, so yeah diversity um, I believe is absolutely key in a trustee board the charity commission website has a whole load of advice for trustees trustees and co-trustees it says here make sure that the charity complies with its governing document um, make sure that the charity complies with the law and also take reasonable steps to find out about legal requirements, um, reading relevant guidance or taking appropriate advice when you need to. So that's really key for trustees to do. And also every trustee, it says here, should have an up-to-date copy of their charity's governing document, which of course we mentioned in the last podcast, and regularly refer to it. And if they don't have one, um, ask your fellow trustees or ask the Charity Commission because they should have a copy of it. Mm. One thing that trustees can do is sign up to get mailings from the commission and other sources. And um, if the trustees, it says about avoiding mistakes here as well, if the trustees don't comply with the governing document, the charity might undertake activities outside its objectives. So it's very important keep focus on that governing document. Make changes to that governing, governing document in those board meetings if you feel that's, as a board, that's relevant. But always keep to it. It's your guide. Um, and, uh, and the risks, I suppose, of not following that governing document are essentially that uh, you might fail as a charity to follow the correct procedures as well. As part of that avoiding mistakes, trustees make, um, they must make decisions solely in the charity's interests. Uh, they shouldn't allow their judgment to be swayed by personal prejudice or dominant personalities, which can be quite difficult, I'd imagine, in a boardroom. You've got to be strong as a trustee, because if you're in that boardroom and then um, the chair, the chairman of the board, for example, um, or whoever's got the strongest opinion in that board meeting, um, is very vocal about something. You've still got to stand up if you don't believe that's true. Because actually, there could be the other trustees that are also sitting there thinking, "Well, I don't agree with that." They Absolutely. will make, jump in and back you up. And in terms of, you know, if if you don't agree with what's being said, um, you it says here again that. Um, Essentially, once the trustees have made a decision, everybody must comply with it. So that you know, you've got to, as a board, you've got to agree. Um, you don't have to have a kind of a, a unanimous agreement to everything, but it does say that you know, as a trustee, you've got to essentially go along with it. And what you can do, if you strongly disagree, and if you've been heard, and uh, everybody on the board um, still goes ahead anyway, you've got to go along with it. But you can make it clear so you can record it in the minutes of the meeting that you have disagreed with that point or whatever the the thing was um, and if you think that your fellow trustees are acting in breach of their duty uh, you should discuss the matter with the chair of your trustees and if you're still concerned you should go to the charity commission with it um, but then it does say here as well the charity commission can only advise or intervene in relation to trustees' legal duties, it can't arbitrate in disputes between trustees. So, yes, that's the kind of, uh, that's the hierarchy, that's the route to go down, I think. So, um, a few days ago, I, uh, I interviewed Daniel Neal, um, who uh, works and lives out in the, in the United States of America. Wow. Um, really nice guy, um, took the time to speak to me via Skype, um, and uh, I'll introduce him now. Here's Daniel Neal telling you a little bit more about engaging with trustees and boards. So I'm here with my guest Daniel Neal who has more than 30 years of professional fundraising and financial services experience. Daniel has served in executive leadership roles for the past 25 years while providing counsel and direction to non-profit organizations across the U.S., he has designed, directed, and led fundraising programs that have significantly increased operational funding and provided over half a billion dollars through capital and endowment campaigns. Daniel, welcome to Charity Chat. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 
Now, this month's podcast is helping us to better understand the motivations of trustees, where charities can find trustees, and the role of a trustee. You have a lot of experience of engaging with boards and trustees, so my first question to you is what should charities be doing to fully engage their board of trustees? Well, again, thank you for having me. And I think the topic is great and it's spot on because I think it's one of the greatest challenges that uh, nonprofit organizations, certainly here in the U.S., have, and I think uh, also uh, across the way where, where you guys are operating. Uh, you know, I, I put it in the terms of the, the three E's on, on what needs to happen to, you know, better align an organization with its needs and who it gets on board at any particular time. Uh, nonprofit organizations go through cycles so they have to constantly be taking a look at those that they need to fill specific uh, actions and activities for, for, for the board. But the, the three E's that I, I really look at, first is, is setting it clear expectations. Uh, secondly is empowering them to fulfill what you're asking them to do. And thirdly is engaging them. And I'll talk just briefly about each one of those and what I'm talking about. One of the things I find that, that's really fascinating is when I'm talking with nonprofit organization uh, CEOs and executives and leaders, what they say, uh, you know, behind the closed door is, boy, we can't get that board to do anything. And then when I'm talking to the board members, they'll say, I do, I'll do anything. I just don't understand what it is that they're asking me to do. So we have this sort of mismatch of expectations and understandings. And I, I think one of the things that has to, to happen is to set clear expectations up front, use those expectations when they're onboarding uh, nonprofit trustees, and really bring them along in the understanding of those expectations. I, I think it's a communications issue more than anything. But many times a, a, an organization just simply is not taking the time to set out those clear expectations of communicating. Once that happens, and, and once a trustee comes on board, then you know, then it's great. Everyone, uh, you know, is is all ready to go. And then, how do you engage them? And I think that's a, a real challenge as well in finding ways to meaningfully engage them in the work of a nonprofit without, you know, getting too far in the weeds. And I know we'll talk a little bit about that. And and, and then the last one is making sure that they're empowered. Uh, and how do you do that? Many times we'll have the wonderful orientation and they've got the nice book of uh, materials and information and they come to board meetings, but we don't take the time to truly bring them along in the organization, give them the tools and the training and the support they need to be successful, set them up for success so that success builds on itself. So I think those are some of the three challenges that both the organization has and that the trustees have coming in the door. And I think that if we can address those, then we're, we're on a better footing, at least at the beginning. Here in the UK, we have, uh, we're currently undergoing a lot of changes to our existing charity sector regulations, uh, following several stories that have been picked up by the media. How involved should a board of trustees be in the day-to-day -day operations of fundraising and other activities in the charities they sit on? And where is that line between taking responsibility for the organization and getting involved in the day-to-day -day running of the organization? Yeah, again, a, another great question and a, a real balancing act because certainly I, I know uh, uh, in, uh, you know, in your area, there have been some uh, really, um, you know, uh, key cases that have caused the nonprofit uh, world to take a look at how it engages uh, oversight and govern governance, whose responsibility for some actions that take place and some uh, nefarious things that may take place. We've certainly had the same thing take place here in, in the U.S. And I think many times there is a tendency to have a knee-jerk response. I think one of the things that has to happen is first take a step back and say, what is it that was really involved? Where do we break down and how do we best make sure that we're engaging everyone in, in our mission, donors, uh, volunteers, employees, uh, recipients of our services, in the best and most ethical ways possible. You know, I think specifically with some of the, the cases that you've dealt with, there, there are a lot of, um, you know, a lot of issues in all of those areas. But one of the key things has to do 
with educating donors. I really think that's one of the areas that it starts and that we don't spend a lot of time focused on here in the U.S. and, and, and uh, really across the uh, Association of Fundraising Professionals, the organization that, that guides our activities and provides resources, there's a, there's a donor bill of rights. And that donor bill of rights really spells out the actions and activities that nonprofit organizations and fundraising um, uh, executives and consultants need to be aware of. One of those, a couple of those areas has to do with transparency of financial data and information and for board members to be totally transparent and know whether we are being transparent as an organization, they have to understand the finances, the revenue streams, the actions and the activities that you're going on under. So uh, an understanding there, but very importantly, it's then donors have rights. They have rights for their information not to be shared with other organizations. They have rights to be treated with the utmost respect and care in their confidential information and their, their giving and only communicate that in the way that they want to be have it communicated with. So I think we've got to educate trustees on those donor bill of rights and to make sure that they're embedded in our actions and activities. But I think thirdly, and this is where I think we get to a really important opportunity, is how we use um, committees of the board. One in particular in this case would be the development committee or fundraising committee. And using that not just as an oversight for the organization, but truly being engaged in the development of the fundraising plan and the execution of the fundraising plan. So I think where we get in trouble is when the board takes the knee-jerk reaction that they've got to take over management or get into the weeds of the organization. I think that is always fraught with danger uh, to do that. Sometimes we have to do it in transitions for an organization, but most often the board has an oversight responsibility and not a direct day-to-day -day management responsibility. But they're, if they're engaged in setting the plans, they can better uh, oversee the execution and make sure that all is staying on track. But stay out of the weeds. Based on your experience, what three mistakes do boards in the U.S. generally make? Well, I, I, I think one that, that I see is... Um, like I was mentioning there, not using the committee structure appropriately. What that leads to is not using the, um, the, the talents and experiences of the trustees that they bring on board to the fullest advantage. And here's what I mean by that. Many times when boards go into that operational zone, they use their time together to really, um, you know, sort of um, take over the operations rather than than uh, overseeing it. So I, I think that's that's one of the, the things is that they do is they sort of check their experience at the door many times. I, I see this so often with board members. Uh, I see that they, um, I've worked with some of the most, you know, successful uh, entrepreneurs, executives, uh, nonprofit uh, uh, operators, um, philanthropists, as board members that have done incredible work with their for-profit organizations, and then when they get to the nonprofit world, they sort of check that at the door and don't see the operation or the oversight or the direction for that uh, nonprofit in the same way that they would and how they would operate with their for-profit organization. They would never go in and start uh, building the widgets on their own, but they, somehow they're uh, inclined to do so sometimes at the nonprofit world. So I think that's one mistake that they make is, is checking their, um, their for-profit experience at the door and thereby we don't get the collective wisdom and real true value of bringing that body together when, they, when they're together from a strategic uh, direction sense. Secondly, and I was mentioning the committee structure, I think uh, that's the other way that we take away from how we engage the board members. I'm a firm believer that committee work uh, is vital to the um, to the direction of the organization, to leveraging the resources of the organization, and getting the most that you can out of the board. I believe most of the work of the board should be done at the committee level, committee structure, bring people outside of the board on those committees 
update them for a while, bring the right resources in. And then when the board comes together, it's more strategic direction, making sure that they, they're on the right track as an organization and using their collective wisdom. So I, I think that's, that's uh, two mistakes that they make. Um, I, I, I think the other is just not understanding their role in, in fundraising sometimes. Uh, their board source does a, a, um, a survey of nonprofit executives and board members um, just about every year. And every year, out of the 10 functions of boards and board trustees, that they grade themselves on year after year from you know, mission to governance to oversight, uh, the bottom of the rung is always in fundraising. Less than 25% uh, give themselves an A or a B in that, and then less than 5% give themselves an A. So I think their understanding of their role in helping to make sure that they have the resources in an organization to be successful uh, is one of the biggest mistakes and one of the areas that board members, quite honestly, want to improve on. What should prospective board trustees expect to be doing outside of managing the charity of that governance role? Well, I, I think they have two primary roles outside of government governance. And one is helping to set the strategic direction of the organization. And that's everything from do we need to exist to if we do, what is our vision? Uh, what's, what's the mission to achieve that vision? And what are the resources that we need to, to achieve that? So that's, that, that's uh, uh, one, is being a part of and being a major part of setting the strategic direction. But the problem that, that happens after that is what I think the, 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 the other uh, responsibility is. And they have a responsibility uh, for ensuring that the resources are available to execute that uh, strategic direction, to achieve that vision. And, and what I mean by that is, first of all, by making sure that they've got the right executive leader. The board has one employee. It gets back to that staying out of the weeds. I see so many times boards managing all sorts of levels. The board has one employee, and that's the CEO. They have a responsibility to bring the appropriate CEO CEO on for that strategic time for the organization, making sure that the, it's the right person and overseeing them and making sure that they're giving them feedback on how uh, that individual is doing. But that's one element of making sure they have the resources. The other is making sure that that CEO has the organizational structure around it, around that CEO, that they need to be successful. So the board has a responsibility and and having a plan to ensure success for that CEO to, to operate. And then thirdly, uh, what are the resources? It's the financial resources. Now, and there are many times two or three elements there of those financial resources. One is maybe the programmatic revenue uh, and expenses and, and, and uh, that's used to supplement or operate on. But the other is in that uh, philanthropic revenue the board has a direct responsibility to open its wallet, to open its Rolodex, and to open its calendar to make sure that the organization has the resources it needs to achieve the strategic direction that it's helped to set. That's what I believe. Thank you so much, Daniel. My last question, how do you feel charity governance will change in the coming years, and what will that mean for boards and future board candidates. Sure, I, I'm, I'm going to give you my, um, my, my bias and my hope uh, for, for the future of nonprofit organizations and governance. And, and that's, we can stop um, looking and operating and functioning from a mentality of maintenance and scarcity more to an uh, opportunistic and visionary 
approach to nonprofit world. Here's what I mean by that. Let's take just, you know, how we've trained our donors to evaluate their giving to nonprofit organizations. The first thing that they look at is fundraising efficiency, and they go to look at Charity Navigator, and what's the rating, and everything's about, did we spend too much money? Is that the way that they will operate their for-profit business? Sometimes growth and investment in growth and entrepreneurial spirit has to be the part of that. So always and I see this mistake so many times, operating from that mentality of maintenance and scarcity rather than, you know, pulling up their entrepreneurial boots and going forward. I hope that's something that we see changing, putting the resources in place to hire the best, keep the best. We have too much turnover, but there's this firm belief that people coming to work in the nonprofit sector should be willing to to take a, a hit in their in their living uh, and, and, uh, and their experience uh, because they've come to work for the uh, nonprofit world so that that that's one the other uh, I, this is this is again just an observation and a prejudice and anytime I work with a nonprofit organization anywhere around the country or I'm talking to anyone in the in the sector the first question I always ask is do you need to exist and I mean that and I mean that in the most respectful ways and this is what I mean those who establish nonprofit organizations, work for nonprofit organizations, give their time in volunteering or, or donating to nonprofit organizations, are doing so because they're passionate about a cause. They want to make a difference. So I think realistically, we have to ask ourselves every time is there a more effective way to achieve what it is that we're trying to achieve? those that we're trying to serve. I mean, there's, what, 1.5 million nonprofit organizations in the U.S. I think it's the third largest in, employer in the U.S. sector. And my question is not about their will-meaning nature, but about their effectiveness. Should there be more consolidation in the nonprofit world to say, can we get the biggest bang out of our buck and our effort to do more that we're wanting to serve and, again, to serve those who are giving? To us. So I think those, those are two areas that, that I would certainly like to see a change, that change in mentality to um, a more business-like uh, 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 approach with the appropriate oversight, uh, uh, management, and, and, and education, and also making sure that we're being as efficient as possible as we can when we're serving those that we try to serve through nonprofit organizations. Well, this has been fantastic, Daniel. If people have questions for you, if people want to find out more about what you do, uh, what can they do? Great. Well, let me just put a plug in for who, what, what we do. We, we do work with nonprofit organizations around the country in the U.S. and really focused on kind of the high-impact, high-return activities of looking at an organization's structure, infrastructure, direction, and helping them make sure that getting the biggest bang for their buck and also in capital fundraising. But we also do webinars and actually we have a lot of folks from uh, for, from uh, your side of the pond that to participate in our webinars. So we try to do monthly free webinars uh, on these various topics along the way. If we can give something away and give something back out there to people who are trying to do good work, then we try to do that as well. So you can find out a little bit more about us on our website at www.thefundraisingresource.com. Daniel, thank you so much for being on Charity Chats. Uh, it's been fantastic having you on the show, and we very much look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thanks very much. So, um, so there you go. That's Daniel Neal. Um, fantastic interview, and I'm sure we'll be hearing more from him over the next few months because uh, he's got a wealth of experience, knowledge of the sector, and uh, seemingly what happens in the States is either happening here or will potentially happen here in the future. I thought that was really interesting, um, actually, what Daniel said about about board's relationships with the chief executive. Their sort of initial point of contact should always be with the chief executive and not delve too deeply into the, the running of the sure. the fund, you know, the fundraising I things. Suppose what he said, the, the trustees are engaging with the chief exec on a fairly regular basis. Uh, they shouldn't really be involved in the day-to-day -day workings of the charity. Um, the questions they ask at the board meeting should be addressed by the chief executive. From time to time, the chief executive may decide to bring in other members of um, the organisation to come and present or to answer questions about specific areas. But otherwise, the board shouldn't be, for example, on a daily basis involved in the day-to-day 
And I suppose there are risks there, as there would be with any kind of hierarchical organisation where, you know, if you've got somebody from the, at the top, which essentially is a trustee, talking to somebody, you know, two or three runs down, then who are they missing out? And then there's a whole load of scope for confusion and, you know, and all sorts of difficulties from that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had the experience myself once or twice with, you know, a trustee who has had a, a report of how a fundraiser has been dealt with by the organisation, whether it's a complaint or, or a, you know, or a compliment, um, either way, and they kind of feed it directly to me when actually, you know, how we deal with our fundraisers, while it's of interest to the trustees, they shouldn't feel like they have to check up that we're doing it right. They should trust the, the organisation to do it right. Sure. And if they are worried, to bring it up with the chief executive. Yeah, I suppose it comes down to not undermining the chief exec's role as well. Mm. Um, and also, you know, for all those other trustees, you know, it could suddenly make a, a very difficult role even more difficult if they've then got to be involved more heavily in day-to-day running of operations or engaging with more than one person. Um, so, yeah, that's understandable. I think actually James, when we spoke to James as well, he mentioned it too about having subcommittees. And um, that was certainly obviously something that Daniel mentioned too. So spring to mind you know subcommittees like a development board some organizations have a development board uh, to look at fundraising for example and developing new products uh, for the charity or developing new events or um, going out and trying to get more major donors on board so things like that there might be kind of more roles for trustees outside of just the general board meetings that they have but again i suppose it's best left to things like subcommittees so it's a clearer structure yes absolutely i agree and i think yeah so the trustee board meetings are there to look at the governance of the charity and the really the sort of the big overarching top line um top level issues yeah so yeah we've uh, so charity chat we benefit from having a um a very uh, enthusiastic and vocal um linkedin community that we're part of um and uh, and also uh, social media as well and i think um we had a few things uh, for this show, didn't we? Uh, I've got a quote that's been highlighted here um, from Tony Harron. So thank you, Tony, for your um, your contribution. He said, uh, as a current charity trustee and advisor with a particular interest in finance and corporate governance, I believe there can be a mismatch between new trustees and the CEO or boards of some organisations. What I mean is new trustees often have no real understanding of what good corporate governance looks like in practice, and many organisations find it difficult to relay in any structured way that where their organisation actually is in terms of good governance. And I mean governance in its broadest sense, not just the regulatory or compliance elements. So that harks back to what we were saying earlier about, you know, have trustees having oversight of the, the charity's governing you know, governing document yeah. so that they are all clear of what it what it looks like, um, but also looking at other other charities and what their governance governance may look like. Um, so I think Tony makes a really good point and actually comes back to what we're saying about trustee training. Yeah, making sure that the trustees actually really know what their role is, and if they don't understand an area of the governance or the governing document, to actually be bold and to ask those questions Absolutely. without looking stupid, because it's it's imperative that they understand what good governance looks like and when you're looking at a group of trustees who as we've already talked about you know diversity is very important you're not going to have people with all the skills that are required to be a good trustee from the start are you you're going to need to support them in the way you would um, member of staff and so looking at kind of what they need in terms of training and then how you can support that and that might be training in terms of you might they might need to be paired with a member of staff. You know, it's only mentoring programs and things like that where they can contribute as well as learn. And I, I suppose that's, for, from what James was saying, that's a big part of his motivation for becoming a trustee was to learn more. So I don't think it's, I think it's fair to say that you shouldn't expect a trustee to be able to come in and solve your problems or take your charity where you want it to go from the start. I think you need to be able to invest in that trustee and that board as well with training. And there are a whole load of places that people can go to look for that training. One of our um, one of our LinkedIn community, Dawn Newton, um, she suggested the Small Charities Coalition, which I think we've we've looked at before, um, who run affordable training for trustees, and they've got a whole load of resources on their website. And again, we'll put that on our our website and, uh, and on our Facebook page. In terms of charities and where they can find trustees, there are a couple of places that they can they can look. So there's doit.org. 
they have a trustee finder section on their website and also trusteesunlimited.co.uk um, they also have a finder trustee section on their website um, and the NCVO also is a, is a great place to look for for trustees um, and the other thing is to make sure that you advertise any posts on your charity's website because obviously chances are you're going to find people who are interested in your charity will be yeah. looking on your website on a regular basis and they may see the opportunity there and think actually that's a really great way for me to get involved and to actually help my help the charity that I support in a really practical way. And I suppose any channel you know that you've got you know um, access to so again some advice is social media you know maybe put it in your newsletter you know I don't think you have to be uh, quiet about going out to find trustees you know because again you might have somebody out there that's fundraising for you um, who who may be perfect for this and I think also getting um, representatives from the beneficiaries that you're supporting is very key in a, in a trustee absolutely because if they if they've been on the receiving end of the you know the the help that your charity provides then they're going to be your greatest asset and advocate and may have ideas of how you can improve the, the offer the you know the service that your charity provides or um can sort of you know help sing your praises a which is a fantastic opportunity when you're when you've got for example a major donor event where you're trying to get major donors on board to give uh, support to your organization to have talking to them a trustee who has dedicated a lot of their spare time to manage the charity you know well that's that's quite compelling I think for a major donor why on earth should I invest in this charity well I have I've invested all this time potentially they've invested uh, donations as well um, and they believe in the cause which is quite compelling more compelling potentially than having a paid member of staff approach that major donor so they can be your best ambassadors as well as kind of essentially the managers of or the governors of your charity. So hopefully um, this has given you at least an introduction into who trustees are, where you can find them if you're a charity, how you can apply to be one if you're a potential trustee, um, and also potentially a bit of guidance for those people that are already trustees and charities that are already you know, looking at how maybe they can uh, G up their board. So um, I hope you found that interesting. Uh, all of the information that we've given out today um, is essentially from uh, lots and lots of research that we've done. We'll post the main links for that research onto our website, which is, of course, as usual, is charitychat.org.uk, and also our Facebook page, which is Charity Chat Podcast. Okay, guys, so that's it for this month. Um, thank you so much for listening. We'd also like to thank all of those people that have contributed. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Red Dog Music, for sponsoring our charity podcast kit. Uh, we'd also like to thank uh, Forest of Fools, who have played music throughout the show and will be playing us out. Their second album is coming out soon. More information on our website. And also, of course, RR Yard Photography for providing us with some lovely images for our website. You can see them on www.charitychat.org.uk. One final thank you to the Cystic Fibrosis Trust for hosting uh, our our studio today. The, the meeting room has been our studio, so thank you for the thank you for that. And uh, next month we're going to be talking about social media, so stay tuned. We'll be publishing more information about the podcast um, on uh, on our page and on our Facebook page, which is uh, Charity Chat Podcast. And um, yes, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. If uh, we are run by volunteers, we are a voluntary organisation in our own right. Uh, we've received no funding and all of this is done in our spare time. So we are always looking for support. So if you would like to contribute, whether that's being on the show um, or helping us with research or production of the show, please do get in touch through our website. And thank you for listening. Uh, thanks ever so much for listening, guys. Speak to you next month. Cheerio. Bye bye.